You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Great. We are going to be doing our last sermon today in this series called Divine Disruptions. I got a battle station up here today. Forgive me. We're doing it. We're making it work. As always, if you have any uh, questions or comments, feel free to send them. I will get that out right now so that I can see what's going on and we can do our best to try to answer those as they come in or we'll take some time at the end to do that. But the idea behind this sermon series really is that, that we're in a busy season. There's lots of disruptions. And we're looking at how Jesus handles disruptions because that is so much of his ministry is just uh, talking to the people that are coming to him, coming to ask things from him, interrupting what he's doing on his way. And so how does he handle it? Is there any lessons in that for us for today? If you have scriptures with you, I'd love for you to turn with you with me to Mark 10. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 772, I believe. And uh, we got to get there, and then I'm going to situate this for us. Because we got to get the context of what's going on. Because a text without a context is a sure sign you're being conned. And so let's get the context of what's happening. If you've been in the church for a while, you've heard this story many times. This is blind Bartimaeus, the beggar, calling out to Jesus. But the context is all about discipleship. It's all about how do we follow Jesus. And we've come to a climax in the stories because the very next story, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Mark 11, Jesus is enter. It's the triumphal entry. Jesus is on his donkey. He's coming to confront the religious leaders. He's going to pick a battle with them. He's going to die. And so he has come to Jerusalem to die. He tells us for the third time in this chapter that that's what he's going to do. And he's trying to help his disciples figure out what it means to be good followers of him before he dies. Because the cross really is the obstacle to so many of our faiths. And so in all of chapter 10, it's all about discipleship. In the beginning, Jesus blesses the children and says, if you want to be good followers of me, you have to become like children. And then the next passage is about a very wealthy man and and wealth is an obstacle to all of our discipleship, and it was an obstacle to his discipleship. And Jesus says, follow me, and the man refuses to give up his possessions, and so he does not follow him. And then Jesus predicts his death and resurrection in the midst of this conversation about discipleship or following Jesus. And then James and John and the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest when Jesus comes into his kingdom and he becomes uh, like a political king in a palace, and they say, we're going to sit by Jesus's right and left sides. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're talking about. This is not what we're doing. So the disciples are arguing about power. The rich man can't get over his wealth. Jesus is pulling little children who are denigrated in the society. They're treated as property in the society. He says, these are the people that you're supposed to be like. And then we come to the final story about a blind beggar 
who, who is a model for us about how to follow Jesus. So I'm going to intersperse some discipleship stuff in there, and then we'll get to our disruption stuff. But it begins in 46. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho, getting ready to go to Jerusalem, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bar Timaeus, Timaeus' son. This is the only person who's healed named in, in Mark's healing stories. If you don't know, Bar means son of, and so he says it twice. His name is son of Timaeus, Timaeus' son. So Timaeus may be someone important, we don't know. But he's Bartimaeus. And he was sitting beside the road, a beggar, blind. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. And many in the crowd scolded him, and they told him to be quiet. But he disrupted even louder. Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. They, they called the blind man. They said, be encouraged. Get up. He's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Coat is important. Coat in this society, I mean, maybe this man's only earthly possession to keep him warm. Also, coats were often signs of identity. This man takes his only earthly possession, contrasted to the rich young ruler in the sections before, who won't give up anything to follow Jesus. This guy literally gives up everything. He throws his coat to the side, and he jumps up, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He's a blind beggar. Maybe money? Could you hook it up a little bit with some cash? The blind man says three words in the Greek. Rabbi, my sight. Or teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go, and your faith has healed you. At once, that's again Mark's favorite word, immediately, 41 times in this gospel. 41 times in 16 chapters, immediately he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus. The end of our gospel reading for today. As always, we ask the questions, what does God want us to know, feel, and do? Those are our three questions. What does God want us to know, feel, do, so that we can figure out what's going on with the information, move it to transformation, and then move it to action so that we have a holistic faith that moves to us and through us out into the world. And, and through this theme of disruption, I want to take a look at how Jesus handles this blind beggar sitting on the road, calling out to him. And even when the crowd shushes him, he, he calls him even louder and Mark positions this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, to be the epitome of what it means to follow Jesus. That's what this story's about. That literally our sight can be regained about who Jesus is and Jesus can heal us and show us mercy. What does God want us to know then in this theme and in this story? For me, it's this. Jesus shows us the difference between when helping hurts and when helping helps. Not every time that we help somebody does it help them. Sometimes helping hurts. We know this. And sometimes helping helps. And Jesus gives us a model about disruptions and how to address them in a way that is actually about helping helping instead of helping hurting. 
Jesus asked the man, the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? My immediate assumption would be that the man wants money. His only earthly possession, his coat, is probably laid out in front of him so that he can collect money. He's literally called the blind beggar in every one of these stories. Blindness, I don't know if you know, is a very difficult, um, a very difficult disease to cure, even for prophets in the Bible. Really, only Jesus heals blindness. So, what is he, what do you want, Jesus? asks him, what do you want? I think this is a key for us in understanding how helping helps instead of have out of how helping hurts. Because oftentimes we think we know why people are interrupting. We think we know what they want. I do this with my spouse. I do this with, she's like, can you just listen? And I'm like, I already know what you're going to say. And I got a 50-50 track record, which is pretty good, but I don't always know what she's going to say. My kids, too. I think I know what they're going to ask me. And they're interrupting me. And before they even get the sentence out, I'm usually like, no. No, you can't. Have more chocolate chips. My chocolate chips are gone, y'all. There's just an empty bag. You think if you were going to eat them all, you'd throw the bag away. At least try to get rid of the evidence. Nope, just an empty bag in my fridge. Nope. No more screen. No, you can't get on the screens. We think we know what people want. And so we don't hear them, and we don't take the next step to ask the right questions. Jesus does know what people want, and he still asks. There's something in this for us about modeling, uh, trusting the people who are going through the situation to know what they need and getting their input on, on how to best solve the situation. It reminds me of the scene in Frozen 2, which I loved. It felt like a a, a kind of a big deal in this. Uh, Princess Anna is trying to save something and her, what's the guy's name? Kristoff, thank you. It's not, Sven's the reindeer, isn't it? I did, I typed, I googled Sven. I was like, what does Sven say? And they're like, the reindeer? Um, the man shows up, Kristoff, he gets out of his own conundrum and he shows up and this clip is short, but just kind of feels like what Jesus is modeling for us. He, here it is. Kristoff! I'm here. What do you need? To get to the dam. You got it. Thank you. It was, yes, so I'm here. What do you need? Like, instead of just going like, I'm here, I'm going to fix it. Instead of just saying like, I'm here, I have the answer. He asks, what do you need? He's got the horse. He's got a lot of resources. Reese horses. Come on. That was on the fly. That's so dumb. Uh, he's got the resources. She's the one that's getting attacked by this giant rock golem thing. But he asks her, what do you need? I think this is an important question. I think this is a turning point in a lot of our growth. And instead of assuming what people need and assuming that we have the solution and assuming that we are the ones that are going to save everyone, Jesus gives us a model of asking people, what do you need? What do you want me to do? Two of my favorite leadership books, one is by Ronald Heifetz, Leadership Without Easy Answers, and the other book I've mentioned before called When Helping Hurts. This is kind of the premise behind 
both of them is that there's ways to lead that are not good and there's ways to lead that are good and there's ways to help that actually hurt and there's ways to help that help. And a couple quotes for them. Uh, it says, uh, this is hyph, nope, this is when helping hurts. We are not bringing Christ to the poor communities. Christ has been active in these communities since the creation of the world, sustaining them by his powerful word. Hence, a significant part of working in poor communities involves discovering and appreciating what God has been doing there for a long time. We show up with questions. What is Jesus doing here? And how do we help? Heifetz says the same thing. Imagine the difference in behavior when people operate with the idea that leadership means influencing the community to face its own problems with its own resources. They are living the issues. We as people can be catalysts for healing and helping, but it begins by asking questions rather than assuming that we are the savior of every situation that we walk into, which is interesting because Jesus is the savior of every situation he walks into, but he models for us asking the question. Jesus teaches us the lesson about assuming about letting hurting people speak into their own healing even when they've interrupted to ask for help. This is what God wants us to know, is that we can be people who ask in the middle of disruption, in the middle of crowds, in the middle of Jesus is heading into Jerusalem to die. He's interrupted and Jesus still is able to be present with hurting people and say, what do you want? What do you need from me? It's a good lesson. What does Jesus want us to feel in the midst of this story? What is the feeling language in this story? What are we supposed to experience? We meet messy with mercy. Let's meet messy with mercy. He began to shout, show me mercy, son of David. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted louder, mercy. Show me mercy. Mercy is a major theme in all of scripture. I have about 47 scripture I want to show you to prove my point. But mercy, you can't go wrong being merciful over and over again. Jesus wants us to experience and to receive and to extend mercy. After, after Moses gets the, the Ten Commandments and he comes down the mountain and there's the golden calf and the people have been unfaithful and God gets angry and they got to figure the situation out and Moses goes back up the mountain and pleads his case before God to save these people. God gives one of the most beautiful self-disclosure speeches about who God is. God tells us who he is. In the opening lines of that in Exodus 34, he says, I'm a God who is compassionate and merciful very patient, and are full of loyalty, great loyalty and faithfulness. Later, the prophets tell us that if you got to major on three things in our religion, this is what it is. He's told you, all human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk hum humbly with God. When Jesus shows up on the scene, his very first sermon in Matthew, he starts off with, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. That's not the right. There it is. Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Jesus is arguing with religious leaders who seem to lack mercy. And Jesus sums up his argument with them this way. He says, go and learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. Again, arguing with religious leaders, Jesus says, how terrible it will be for you legal experts and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, because you forget about the more important matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. Mercy 
is a major theme in Scripture. And here this blind beggar is calling out for mercy, and Jesus rewards him. Jesus rewards him. He meets that messy situation with mercy. The encouragement for us is to also call out for mercy. What is mercy? Let's just get into it for a second, because we all kind of have an idea, but let's just... I want, to, I want to tell you what the scholars are saying at, from a biblical perspective about mercy. Mercy is abundant provision to those who are in need. This comes from the Dictionary of the Gospels. If you want to read it, I can send you the article on mercy. It goes on. Mercy in the Gospels always involves action. It's not just a feeling, though it also incorporates feelings. The Gospels never describe Jesus as having mercy without doing something to help. One more quote, Jesus' expectation of his disciples was that, was that they would show mercy just as they themselves had received mercy. It's provision for people who are in need. It's feeling in action. It's an expectation of what it means to follow Jesus. Mercy for people in need. I heard a podcast at the beginning of this year in April. I can't believe... That was a million years ago. I can't believe it's December next week. Uh, it's a podcast called Hidden Brain, and they were asking people to share stories about their un unsung hero, somebody who was a hero for them, but they never got to thank them. They don't even know their name. People were just sharing stories about this. And this is a guy named Mike Huddleston, and he says, I was at the airport. My disease makes it so that I have a hard time walking. Sometimes I need a chair. And I was in the middle of the airport, and I fell out of my chair, and I was laying on the ground, and I didn't know what to do. My bag had rolled away. I was just kind of laying in the middle of the airport. And he says, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I hear in my left ear, what can I do to help? Huddleston turned his head to see a man in his late 30s standing behind him, and he said, are you kidding? <laughs> Which I didn't really understand when I first read this. It sounds like he's being sarcastic, but it was really meaningful to him. He said, the man said, no, what can I do to help, man? He says, uh, Mike goes on, different people who need assistance may need it in different ways, Huddleston explained. So asking them how you can help them is amazingly helpful. It allows the individual who's in need of assistance to maintain a sense of self, to maybe feel a little less helpless, and maybe even a little less vulnerable. He finishes by saying, it's been more than 20 years since that happened but continues to think about it to this day. He quotes his willingness to help me and the compassion he showed me in a very challenging situation for me is something I will never forget. Mercy in the middle of a difficult situation that is framed around the question of how can I help you? Now we could assume help this man off the floor, but by asking, he said it made all the difference in the world. 20 years later, he still thinks about it because it adds agency. It adds Dignity and a sense of self in the midst of that. So mercy with dignity is what Jesus is modeling for us. Jesus models for us how to meet the messes of life with the mercy of Christ. That's what Jesus wants you to feel or experience. What do we do? Wrap it up. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to send them. My final point, what is the other encouragement from this passage, especially when it has to do with disruptions? Say what you mean. Say it. Say what you need. 
So many of us have a hard time expressing what we really, really need. And this is, a, this is a passage that encourages us to say what we need, at least to Jesus. Get real. Be honest. Be hopeful. But also an encouragement for us to say it to other people as well. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, my sight. My sight. That's what he really wants. I mean, he would take a couple dollars a couple shekels or whatever they're using there, denarii. But also just my sight. That's what I want. That's what I want. The deepest part of me wants my sight back. An impossible miracle. And yet he says it out loud in front of the whole community. My sight. My sight. Could have asked for money. And that would have been very reasonable. Could have chickened out in the middle, stage fright. Could have just said, you got any cash? That'd be great. I'm just trying to get a couple of tacos. Bring it back, that taco theme. My sight. The ability to say what you really need takes hope and courage. And this is a passage that encourages us to do that because Mark and Jesus want us to be like Bartimaeus. That is the epitome of discipleship. One who is able to see Jesus fully, to get rid of everything that's in our way, and to follow him with our whole hearts. And what that takes is us for, for us to be hopeful and courageous and to say what we need from Jesus, which is healing. Healing from our sin, healing from our brokenness, healing from our inability to help ourselves. To say it, to be vulnerable before Jesus and the community, this is what Jesus wants for us. In fact, the word they even use is encouraged, and it is similar to ours. It has to do with being brave, being bold. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward, and the crowd, crowd surprised that Jesus is recognizing this disruption, says, call him here. And the crowd says, be encouraged. He's calling you. This is, this is what the passage wants you to do, to have the courage say what you need to be vulnerable before God and your people. That's the courage. My daughter, this came up on Facebook Memories for me. She gave me a list of all the stuff she wants for Christmas a couple years ago. Courageous, to say the least. Apple Watch and phone. She was like nine. German Shepherd puppy. I'm already at like two grand. I don't even know how much German Shepherd puppies are. That's how, how much I don't know about this kind of dogs. I couldn't tell you. I get my dogs at the pound. Can you believe they're like 125 bucks there? <laughs> at the pound? They're like, we're going to kill this dog or you could buy it for $125. I'm like, there's got to be a middle. I thought I was doing you a favor. They're like. German Shepherd. She wants a big Hatchimal. She wants slime, slime supplies, slime kit. I did get those things for her. Um, pajamas, okay. Picture of family and money, like 130 bucks. <laughs> I'm out like three grand on this. Brave, courageous. That's why Jesus takes these little kids in the beginning of that chapter and says, if you want to be a disciple, you got to be like them. Did she get any of that? No, maybe the glue for the slime kit. I spent about $22 on my kids for Christmas. But, uh, 
But she still asked. She still wrote down all her heart's desires and handed them to me, and I laughed profusely in her face. And this is why we're all traumatized and jaded. But this is why Jesus sticks little kids in the middle of the community. He says, if you want to be a follower of me, you got to be like them. Because they say what they mean, and they say what they need, and they say what they want, and that's the encouragement from this passage. Be encouraged, and he is. Rabbi, my sight. You're allowed to take up space. You're allowed to have needs and requests. And for a lot of you, that's really, really hard. But this passage encourages you to do that and to say them out loud for God and for community so that you could see the miraculous work of God within you and within your community. Amen. Amen. One question here. What if you don't know what you need? Example, sometimes people are in grief or in shock. Great question. A lot of us don't know what we need. And a lot of us need things that we don't know how to articulate. And our encouragement from Scripture is that God knows. And oftentimes know as an answer to our prayer request is because God is giving us what we really need, even though we asked for something that we thought we needed. But ultimately, in our grief and in our shock, I just take comfort from passages like Romans 8 that says, even in our groans, in our utterances, the Holy Spirit interprets on our behalf the prayers to the Father. And so even in your inability to express your need, God knows. And not just like, in a cliche way, because God knows everything, but the, the Holy Spirit is active in understanding and relaying the deepest needs of our heart. Excellent question. Thank you. And with that, here's my conclusion. Jesus shows up to help in ways that help. And that's an encouragement to you. Try to find ways that help, that help instead of ways that hurt. To meet messy with mercy, which is a major theme in Scripture. And to be encouraged to be bold, to say what we need, especially if we're the ones doing the interruptions. Say what you need. Would you pray with me as we head into a time of communion? Father, thank you. Thank you that we can have this story as an encouragement, that you see us, that you hear us, that you offer us the things that we need would you meet our mess with your mercy? Out of your abundant provision, would you provide for the things that we deeply need, whether we recognize it or not? And ultimately, what we need is more of you. Help us to desire more of you. Help us to be less blind to our need to see more of you and heal us so that we can desire and see more of you in our life. And help us to embrace the disruptions the way that you have. Being merciful, giving agency in the midst of people's struggles, being courageous and bold when it comes to offering mercy and help. We will give you all praise and thanks, saying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was on the night of Jesus' betrayal, on the night before the cross, that he gathers disciples together, much like we're gathered now. And as he did so, he took the bread and he broke it 
And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup. And after he'd given thanks to the Father, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the new covenant, which means a new relationship between you and the Father. Whenever you drink of this, do so in remembrance.